you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 17 to 20 this morning. So last week the scriptures were kind of easy to apply. You know, go shine your light. This week they're hard. They're hard to do. Hard to figure out. Jesus is you know, greatest preacher there lived and these words are so deep and rich uh, with meaning and they're fundamental to us getting it. He's getting ready to share with his listeners some things that they've never heard before, things that go above and beyond everything they'd been taught. And if they miss these next four verses, they're going to be in danger of burning out in serving God. So I titled the message, message today, uh, Avoiding Shine Burnout. So let's read those verses in chapter 5. Verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be, will be called last in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today, these words of Jesus that... Uh, we've read so often and uh, want to grasp and they help us uh, know how to walk with you. And so we just pray, Lord, as we, as we think about the, them today, as, uh, as we uh, look at what Jesus was saying, that your Holy Spirit would be active in our hearts and minds and you'd be able to speak to us about things that we need to do today based on what Jesus said so many years ago. And so I pray the meditations of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. i got to move some stuff. I'm going to knock it over. Keegan, I'm sorry. I'm impressed, Thane. You, you were able to like, play the guitar in, in here without knocking anything over. <laughs> That's pretty good. Do you ever wonder why light bulbs burn out? You can find out if you want. Just Google it. But this one, this is the this is an old one, and uh, it's got that little thing in there that you can shake and hear that you know it's not working anymore. Uh, so I found this back in one of the drawers. I don't know why we kept it, but uh, I was I was glad to know we had it. I, I went ahead. I was just curious. I, I counted how many light bulbs we have in the church. So we have over 130 light bulbs in there, not counting the stage lights. And so I really explained to me why just about every week we were changing light bulbs when they were when they were all this kind. You know? So it's one of the things that I'm really, really grateful for 
um, the new LEDs, they just they just keep working, you know. They just keep going. They never burn out. You know how old the longest burning light bulb is? 117 years old. I'm, you can go Google it again. You can find the Livermore, California longest burning light bulb. There's a bulb cam on it. It's still, it's still going. And you can see it burning. It's in a firehouse uh, somewhere. Nobody knows why. It's been able to avoid burnout for all of these years. But just think of all the darkness that that light bulb has cast out. I mean, it has outlived all the babies, most likely, that were born on the day that light bulb started burning. You know, all the temperature changes, all, all, of, the, all of the fluctuations in power, the corrosions of time, somehow it was able to avoid uh, burning out. So we're going to get into some of the meat of the Sermon on the Mount as we keep going. But before we do, we've got to look at these words that Jesus is giving his listeners to help us avoid burning out. He's about to lay some things on these people that, that, are, that he's never heard. So this is kind of an introduction for them and for us. And they have to understand how to follow him before they try to go out and get it done or they won't last very long trying to shine for the kingdom. So if we, if we forget what Jesus says here, we're going we're gonna to be like that bulb. If, if we get them, we'll be able to shine all the way to our end. So the first one that we need to think about is verse 17. You want to follow the leader, not the law. Okay, follow the leader, not the law, to avoid shine burnout. It's monster fundamental that we, we have to grasp. If you can understand what Jesus is saying here, it's going to make a difference between living a religious life and it's full of rules and living a life that is full of God and full of love and worship of Him. So remember, Jesus' main message was the kingdom of God was here. It was available through Him. That was a new message. It was revolutionary. But the thing was, the way He taught it was also revolutionary. See, He had His own authority. He would say things like, I tell you the truth. I, I'm telling you this. Always before, the Jewish teachers, prophets, they would say, Thus saith the Lord. But here comes Jesus. He's saying something different. He's saying, Hey, listen to what I am telling you. So people are hearing that. They're getting excited. Say, Alright, we're going to buck the system. We're throwing out all these laws that we've been having to follow all of these years. And all those prophets and what they said, those guys that we said, that we treated so badly, we don't have to listen to them anymore. But Jesus, He's saying here, I'm not throwing out the laws. I'm fulfilling them. I'm completing them. And so all the things that the prophets said, ultimately, were things that they were saying about me. There were statements pointing toward me and our future together. And so He's saying, I, I was who they were talking about. And so what they said wasn't worthless. It's just coming to fulfillment in me. And then verse 18, He goes on. For truly I say to you, there it is, His authority. Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So I think this is kind of tough to, to grasp. It's a, it's a tough fundamental to wrap our, our brain around. These are, there's deeper truths in what Jesus is saying here um, in, in how He fulfilled the Old Testament. So let's think about the Old Testament. The entire Old Testament is, is a prophetic announcement for Jesus. So, 
from Genesis to Malachi, one way or another, it was pointing to Christ. And so there's 3,600 years of time that go by there and all those guys were saying something about Jesus. That's one of the amazing things about the Bible. It's a consistent message that points to Him. So how does the Old Testament do that? Well, I'm going to tell you two ways. Predictions and pictures. Okay, sometimes the, the Old Testament guys, they were just telling the future. They were predicting things about Christ. Like in Micah 5.2, when they told where Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. And then when we're reading in the New Testament, we read He was born in Bethlehem, we see how the New Testament was fulfilling the Old Testament, really how Jesus was fulfilling the things that He had said. And there's hundreds of those predictions in the Old Testament about Jesus. And so predictions are one way. The other way is pictures. The Old Testament is filled with pictures of Jesus that, that God paints for us so that it points us to Him. The first one, I think, is in Genesis 3.15. And it's a picture of Jesus' victory over Satan. In Genesis 3.15 it says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise your head, a mortal wound, Christ's victory over Satan. You shall bruise his heel. You'll bite him on the heel. He's talking, this is God talking to the serpent. And that, that, heel, that wound was going to heal. So that's a, a picture that points us to Christ. And, and there's more. God, God got the story of Abraham and Isaac in, in Genesis chapter 22, you know, where, where God asks Abraham to take his son and sacrifice him. And so uh, Isaac goes with his father Abraham and, and he submits to his will and he carries the wood for the fire, you know, up to the uh, altar, you know, submitting there. I mean, that's a picture. Doesn't it remind you of another father and son in the New Testament that we read, read about in the Gospels? Another son who submitted to his father who carried some wood up a hill. In Exodus, God rescued his people from Egypt. And how did he do that? He, he uh, told them to take the blood of a lamb and spread it on the doorposts of their homes so that when the destroyer came that night, death came that night, he would pass over the homes that were covered by the blood of the lamb. Doesn't that sound familiar? Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When we come under His blood, death passes over us and we receive forgiveness. So there's pictures. Those are just a few. There's a whole bunch of pictures in the Old Testament of all of that pointing uh, to Christ. Now, the Old Testament's got a bunch of chapters that have uh, the law of Moses in there. God gave Moses a bunch of laws and uh, told the people how to live. Some of them were very specific. Some of them were really strange. Um, but as strange as they may be, we know that because God gave them to the people, He had a good reason for it, and it was the way, it was the best way He wanted them, you know, to live for them to follow Him. So the Mosaic Law governed God's people morally, socially, and ceremonially, and you can read all about that. Romans seven seven tells us that law wasn't bad, but it pointed us to what was bad. It told us what was bad. It made us aware. The law makes us aware of what sin is. And when you're trying to keep the law, no matter how hard we try, eventually we're going to mess up. And we're going to, we're going to sin. And we do that because something's broken inside of us. And that brokenness, people respond to that brokenness in different ways. Some people respond to it by trying harder. They try to fix what's broken. And some people respond to that brokenness by saying, it's not really broken. I'm okay. You're the one that's not okay. Don't, don't tell me I'm broken. And then some people respond to that brokenness by looking outside of themselves for the answer to their brokenness. 
And that is God working, and He's working in all of that. To this very day, He's working in that, trying to get people to see that He has provided an answer for their brokenness in His Son. And so the point that Jesus is making here is that all of that old stuff was good, and it'll continue to be good as long as there is a heaven and an earth, and as long as that heavenly plan is working. Because that old stuff just keeps pointing people to Jesus. And now, since Jesus has come, and He's died and raised to life, our brokenness, all that for our brokenness, when we personally trust in what He's done, trusting in His work to make us right with God, when we do that, stop trusting in ourselves, stop fighting that, that with God about our brokenness, when we stop doing that and we say, yes, God, I believe I'm broken, Jesus is the answer, when we do that, there's a different way to live. There's a different way to live. If your life is just about managing sin, you know, based on what the law says, you're missing out on something huge. You're missing out on walking, living every single day in the presence of Christ. Talking to Him about life. Talking to Him about your decisions, about your problems, about your failures, sharing your victories with Him. Praising Him. You know, when you're, when you're following Christ, when you've trusted Him, something's changed, you read your Bible, and it speaks to you about how you're supposed to live, you hear those words differently. You know, you hear them as coming from your Savior, and you go, I want to do that. I want to live that way. It's no longer I need to live that way to get this right again, because Jesus has already made this right for us. But now something's changed. Now we're following out of love, not because we need to keep the law. So we're not trying to stay right with Him because Jesus has made us right with Him. We're trying to stay in love with Him because He loved us first. So that's one of the secrets of avoiding burnout. Your life with God has to be about following the leader, not the law. You spend your days focused on the rules of God and your shine is going to burn out. You make your days about a relationship with God, about knowing Him, loving Him, serving Him, and you're going to have a life filled with faithfulness and a shine that perseveres. Remember this, life in the kingdom is not about you anymore. It's about Him. And when you make it about Him, He becomes your magnificent obsession. And then everything changes, and you'll just keep on shining. So follow the leader, not the law. Verse 19, there's this subtle shift that Jesus makes there. And we need to make sense of what he says. Um, he's, he's just told us that he's fulfilled the Old Testament, which would make you think that, you know, I, I don't need to worry about that Old Testament law anymore. I'm not following it anymore, which is true. I mean, the social, the ceremonial laws, all that stuff, we no longer pay attention to because, because Jesus, all of it pointed to him. Now we have Jesus, so we're following him. But then in this next statement that he, that he makes, it sounds like he tells us that we have to obey even the littlest of commands. So how do we understand what he's saying? First, he's fulfilled the law, and now he's telling us to obey it. Well, listen to verse 19 again. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So to make sense of what he's saying here is... Jesus wasn't talking about the old commands, the Old Testament. He's talking about the new ones that he's about to share with them. He's talking about the new commands in this sermon that he's going to give. What he's about to say is way harder than keeping the law of the Old Testament. And I mean, they've never heard anything like what he's about to say. So if you want to avoid shine burnout, you want to prepare for rigor, not relaxation. 
So now, it's important to see here that Jesus is not talking about entrance into the kingdom. He's not talking about entrance into the kingdom. He's talking about effort. So if your attitude as a follower of Christ is, you know what, I'm in, so I can just kind of kick back and coast, you know, because Jesus has got me covered by His blood, I'm forgiven, I've got this grace given to me by faith, you know, I'm, I'm good. If that's your attitude, that's the, that's the wrong attitude. Living a life of faith is hard work and it's rigorous, takes training and practice. You know, we, when we follow Christ, when we get up in the morning, it, He gets us out of bed, our hearts are turned toward Him, and then we get in, our, in the Bible and he, he speaks to us and says, go and shine like, like this. Now, it's true that we're not under law. We're not working hard to get into the kingdom. But we are under grace. We're under grace, aren't we? I mean, if your heart has truly received the saving grace of God, if you've truly received that, it's changed your life, then what I'm about to say is going to make very a lot of sense to you. The devotion to grace is way more than the demands of the law. Do you get the devotion to grace is way more than the demands of the law. How should we live now? When we have realized that the best person to ever live, the Son of God, gave His life in the most horrible, brutal death you can, you can have, He did that for me. How should I live when I know that? When I've received that gift? So the devotion to grace, it is way more and the demands of the law. Jason Brown, he was the highest paid NFL center in 2011. Played for the St. Louis Rams. So in, in late 2011, he had two children. He had a beautiful mansion with two fully stocked bars. And his wife and he were dying on the inside. Headed for divorce. As a professed Christian, Jason said he had to admit that his relationship with Jesus was not very much more than a ticket to heaven. It was just forgiveness to him and little else and allowed him to just live the lavish lifestyle that he was living. But eventually God convicted him of that and he began to loosen his grip on his lavish lifestyle. And it began by pouring out thousands of dollars of expensive liquor. After leaving the Rams, he turned down three other teams' offers. They put their home up for sale and they bought a hundred-year-old farmhouse with a dairy barn and a thousand acres of uninterrupted land in North Carolina. Jason went from playing football to farming. And he learned how to farm on YouTube. <laughs> and that resulted in an organization called First Fruits Farm through community and service. They're working to boost biblical literacy. So 10,000 pounds of cucumbers and 100,000 pounds of sweet potatoes later, Jason says, I literally still know nothing about farming. But I can summarize my business plan and my life in one word. Obedience. Obedience. 
See, following Christ, it is not about just kicking back in the good life that God has given us. It's not that. It is a rigorous faith, a rigorous following because of what Christ has done for us. And so He calls us to live out our salvation, taking the things that God has given us and giving them back to God for, for use in His kingdom. Paul wrote in Philippians 2, chapter 12, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. How hard are you working at obeying the commands of Jesus? You know, the instructions that we're going to hear in the Sermon on the Mount, there's instructions about anger and lust, about divorce, and making promises about taking revenge and loving your enemies. You're going to hear about giving and fasting and, and praying and judging and worry and treasure. There's shine to get from our lives from believing prayer, from knowing Jesus and how we treat others. I mean, this is a high standard of living that we're called to following Christ. But if we will per pursue it, there'll be a light that gets produced from our life even if we get it wrong. And if, but we got to go for it. we got to put our heart into it. Now, in verse 19, there's another expectation. That we will be teaching others to obey or not to obey. And the reason that that's in there is because discipleship is the method that God has given us to grow the kingdom of God, to increase the light in the world. It's through making disciples. So following Jesus should always include showing someone else how to follow Jesus. What we've been given is meant to be given away. Now, not all of us are going to be called to teach in the church. But make no mistake, we are all teaching. We are all teaching. And can you imagine telling someone, hey, don't worry about those commands of Jesus. Yeah, don't worry about it. You're under grace. You're good. You'll be all right. You can't imagine saying anything like that. Anything like that coming out of our mouths as a professing follower of Christ. But you know what? It's exactly what we do when we show people with our life how we are following. Because they're watching us. We show people how important it is to be at church by how often we come to church. We show people if we really believe in prayer by coming to the Wednesday night prayer meeting. <laughs> we show people how important the mission of the church is by our participation in the things that we do to carry it out. So we can be very vocal about our faith, but if we are relaxing in it, I want you to know this, believe this, people are watching you and you are giving them permission to live like you are living. But we don't think about that very often. We, we don't think that, you know, someone is looking at me and because of the way I'm following Christ, they can go, man, I need to get going or they'll go, man, if it's okay for them, then it's going to be okay for me. People are watching us. So the question is, what are others learning from your life of following Christ? Are they learning rigor or are they learning relaxation? Which one? Then the other, the other takeaway from 19 is what Jesus values, what He esteems. See, we may not care, you know, if we have any status in the kingdom of God. I don't care. Put me on the door. 
That'd be a good spot. Give me a broom. Uh, will there be dirt in heaven? I don't know. I don't know. But we don't care, do we? I mean, just I just want to be there. But Jesus cares. He cares what, where we're at. He wants us to have some status. He says, if you relax, you'll be called least. If you rigorously obey, you'll be called great. And so there's encouragement there. Encouragement there to, to shine, to keep shining. It's not in what we get from God, but it's what we can give back to Him. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So we need to prepare for rigorous obedience. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 5-11. to 11. So in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Woo! You will never burn out. Then God will get, get this. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that sounds pretty rigorous, doesn't it? I mean, that, that's a pretty good laundry. That's a pretty good workout for your faith right there. Trying to add all those things to it. Grow like this. Work hard to grow like this. What does it say? It says it will make you fruitful and useful in the kingdom of God. Didn't you just pray that thing? You want to be useful in the kingdom of God. First Peter, write it down. First Peter 1, 5 to 11. There's your answer. It'll make you fruitful and useful. It'll keep you from falling away. It will make for a grand entrance into the kingdom when your day comes. So prepare for rigor, not relaxation. So one more. One more to consider. This is critical to avoiding shine burnout. We've got to learn to trust the power and not the perspiration. Verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is going back into entrance mode here. All right, He's going back into entrance mode. He's saying something really shock, shocking. Unless you can live better than the Pharisees, you're not going to make it to God. Now, important, it's important to get how the Pharisees were living. I mean, they were the guys that were getting it done when it comes to God. They were living the strictest lifestyle when it came to God's law. I mean, they were just fasting, they were praying, they were giving, giving all those things as detailed as they could. That's how they were living. So the scribes, those guys are the lawyers. They're the, they're the ones who were the experts in the law. And the Pharisees were the best teachers of the law. So in their society, the Pharisees and scribes, they were way up here. They were held in high esteem by everybody. I mean, they were the holy ones. They were the ones that you know got close to God. And so to hear that you had to be better then one of them to get in would have been demoralizing. Like, man, if that's what it takes, I don't have a chance. If I got to be better than them. Think of the best person that you can think of 
who has followed Christ in their life way better than you ever will. doesn't have to be somebody you know personally. It could be somebody in history. You know, I, I was thinking, Billy, we have to think of Billy Graham. You know? I mean, Billy Graham, probably one of the best Christians that ever walked the planet. I mean, there's a guy, he traveled the world proclaiming the good news to millions of people, conducted over 400 crusades in 185 different countries, audience estimated at around 2.2 billion people, counting radio and TV. He helped back the civil rights movement in the 1960s. So Dr. Graham, got to be one of the most righteous people that we could ever think of. And we think that maybe you have a, a Mother Teresa. You know, she gave 45 years of her life, over half of her life, to serving the sick and the poor and the orphan and the dying. Founded a mission, uh, mission agencies called Missionaries of Charity, has 4,500 nuns, and, and it's active in 133 countries today. I mean, just take those two people, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, and they would be comparable examples for us as the way these first listeners of Jesus were hearing you had to be better than the Pharisees. Okay, so here Jesus said to you today, hey look, unless your righteousness exceeds Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, you're not getting to God. So we're not getting to God. If it depends on our perspiration. So when it comes to getting in, we can't trust in our perspiration. We've got to trust in the power of God. Now I know I just told you you're not about, it's not about relaxing, it's about hard work and you better prepare for rigorous obedience and, and you should, but remember this is not, that is not about entrance. That is about effort and esteem and expectations. And we get them backwards. You know, we, we try to work hard to get in and then when we think, or, think we're in, we loaf. Thinking Jesus has, you know, got it all done. So I like to say this, works mean nothing before the cross and everything after. Nothing before the cross and everything after. So Jesus is preparing his listeners for some new commands uh, that if they try to keep them in their own efforts, they're not going to be good enough. They're going to fail. They're going to burn out. Pharisees were all about what it looked like on the outside. Their, their external righteousness. And they neglected what was going on on the inside of them. Their, their internal righteousness. So really what Jesus is bringing up here is where he started in the Beatitudes. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the secret to avoiding burnout in the kingdom as we follow Christ is to realize there's nothing in us, there is nothing in us that can get us into the kingdom. We've got to trust Christ's power in us to get us there. And He does that when we trust Him and we're born again. And then once we're in, there's nothing in us to shine for the kingdom of God. So we got to trust the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit put in us to do to do that. And so to keep on shining, you know, we, we don't want to have a, a rah-rah message, hey church, get out there, you know, go get it done for God, boom, boom, boom. That's not what I'm trying to do. This is not about our own strength because we'll fail at that. We'll fail before the day ends. But we can do some things that Jesus asks, asks us to do in the power of the Holy Spirit working on the inside of us that flows through us to keep us, to keep us shining. And it's that power that that sustain it'll, it'll burn longer than the 117 year light bulb if we'll rely on it in 1935 Blasio Kugosi he was a school teacher in Rwanda um, Central Africa and he was really discouraged about uh, the, the lack of life in the church and his own lack of power in his Christian life and so what he did was he did what the first Christians did and he, he set himself apart for a week he shut himself up in his house 
And he spent that week seeking God, confessing his sins, um, talking to him, crying out for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to fill him up. And when he came out after seven days, he was a changed man. He started going to people that he sinned against and he asked for them for forgiveness. He talked to his wife, he talked to his children, asking them for forgiveness, which makes a good dad. He confessed all of that. He proclaimed the gospel in the school where he, where he taught. And a revival broke out there, resulting in teachers and students being saved. They got a nickname pretty quickly. It was Abaca, meaning people on fire. I want to go to that school. <clears throat> so shortly after, Blasio was, he was asked to uh, go and speak in Uganda to the Anglican church. And so he was there. And he was calling the leaders of the church to repent of their lifelessness, powerlessness, and the fire of the Spirit descending on that place. And similar things happened in Uganda that happened in Rwanda. Several days later, Blasio died of a fever. So his ministry lasted only a few weeks. But the revival fires that came out of that ministry continue to, uh, continue to bear fruit in East Africa to this very day. Hundreds of thousands of people have been transformed over the decades of this re revival happening. And it, it all began because there was one discouraged Christian who set himself apart to seek the fullness of God. Hmm. What would happen? Can you imagine what would happen if we would do something similar? If we would go to God and just say, I am tired of trying to live this life in my own strength. There is nothing in me. I need your power. I need your spirit. What would happen in our lives? What would happen at home? What would happen at work? In our church? What would happen in McCordsville? I can tell you what would happen. God stuff. God stuff. That's what I'm praying for. Hey. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, may that be the cry of our hearts today. And we thirst for you. And we want you more than anything else in this world. And we would loosen the grip that we have on our life and lay it before you as an offering to use however you want. We thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. We need it today. We replaced you. We chased after other things. Made them more important than loving you and loving others. So, Lord, we ask for you to fill us today with your Holy Spirit. That you might shine through us into this world that so desperately needs your light and your love. We thank you for this mission that we're on. We get to do that together. Make a difference for the kingdom of God forever. So use us this week, Lord, wherever we are. Maybe today as we're celebrating our dads or maybe tomorrow when we go to work we're walking in the neighborhood. Convict us, Lord. Show us where to take a step out in faith. 
to love somebody, to speak your name, point people toward you. Think of your good grace today, Lord. Send us out in that in that grace. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.